When Alexandra Horwood told me she didn't like the F word, at first I thought, well, you know what word I was thinking about. But she wasn't talking about that one. She was talking about another F word, fees. To be honest, it's no surprise that she doesn't like that word. In recent years, financial fees have acquired a very negative reputation. Many financial influencers, robo-advisors, and DIY trading platforms have encouraged us to believe that higher fees will always eat into our returns and leave us with significantly less wealth in the end. But is that really true? If I want to stay with my financial advisor, will the fees really keep me from achieving my wealth and retirement goals? This is why I reached out to Alexandra, a financial advisor with Richardson Wealth. She joins us to break down the truth behind fees. Plus, we talk about meme investing and what to look for when searching for your own financial advisor or platform, if that's more your style. Thanks so much for joining me, Alexandra. Thank you so much for having me. It's an honor and a privilege to be here. I'm such a proud University of Waterloo alumna and very, very passionate about providing holistic wealth management. So thank you so much for having me. Well, yeah, it's fantastic to have you. And I want to kick things off with that word you don't like. Why don't you like the word fees, the F word? And what word do you prefer to use instead? So I believe, and we've done a lot of studies on this, that that word has a very negative connotation, not just in the financial Field, but in everything, it tends to be very punitive in nature. So when you think about that word, you think about roaming fees, credit card fees, late payment fees. Uh, it's all about penalties. And I don't believe that it's appropriate when we're talking about a value added service like wealth management, like financial advice. I think that the word costs is much more appropriate to describe anything that you're doing that adds value to your life. So whether that is, you know, you're paying a cost to go to a restaurant, to, you know, buy groceries at the store, to get legal advice on something that's really important to you, uh, a cost to, you know, complete your will, your power of attorney. All of these things are things that you either want or you need or you feel add value in your life. And I think that good quality wealth management advice is something that, there is a cost associated with. And I think that it was Warren Buffett who said, price only matters in the absence of value. So it's quite possible that when the conversation turns to a value-added service, that the description of what that advice or what that service costs should change as well. Yeah, I mean, it's really funny what a different word can do to change your perspective. Using that word costs instead of fees makes it really clear that we're just talking about different service offerings. And like any other product, you can go with a lower pro uh, lower cost. And um, that means that you maybe have a little more work to do on your end. Or you can go with a different service that means less work for you. And that just means a higher cost. So uh, it's great to put this word fees out of the way and instead use costs, but that still leaves us with a few different options. So how do we know which one is the right fit? Everyone is different. And that's the beauty of, of the investment industry and about all of the options that are available. So depending, you have to really decide what works for you, right? There's no one size fits all to investments or planning. 
So if you are someone who really, really enjoys investing, you love reading analyst reports, you love following the market, you love deep diving into financial statements or you know, just doing an enor- a lot of research and you like being really engaged in the process and you also feel like you're somebody who has the time to commit to that. Because I think studies show if you do manage your own investments in a DIY approach, typically it's about a 40 to 50 hours a year commitment. That's just, you know, that's one full week of work, right? Of Well, technically 10 hours a day. It's longer than the normal work day. So you have to feel like you have the time to do that. You have the interest to do it. And ultimately, you might feel you might want to feel like you're actually good at it. Right. And you also need to be the kind of person who, um, you know, isn't going to get overly emotional or affected when, for example, the pandemic hit in March 2020 and the market crashed 36 percent. You know, unfortunately, what we're seeing right now in the Ukraine, it's horrible and it is having dire humanitarian consequences. But I think most of the experts believe, you know, it might not affect the global economy long term. Can you see through that? Can you see through the media headlines and, you know, be greedy when others are fearful, like Warren Buffett says, be fearful when others are greedy? Or are, do you feel like you're somebody who gets really sucked into the momentum and tries to chase returns and invest in what's the trendy new thing? So you have to have an interest, you have to have the time, and you have to feel like you can actually, you know, apply a very logical filter to what you're doing and remove the noise, remove some of the fearfulness that's out there in society. And I know of a lot of people who manage money on their own, and some of them are extremely good at it. But some of them just feel like it takes over their life. It becomes their full-time job. And that's really not what they signed up for. And some people, quite frankly, are just too busy in their careers. They're too busy in their family life. They don't want to be glued to their screen all the time. And it's just not appropriate for them. And then on the other side, there's, you know, there's holistic wealth management advice. There's people who also want to get more advice than just which stocks to buy in my portfolio. There's people who want it all taken care of, a one-stop shop. So that's investments, insurance, benefits, tax and estate planning, like wills, power of attorney, um, charitable giving, philanthropy. How do you talk to your kids about investing and budgeting? How do you transition your family business down to the next generation? So that's when you really need to involve a professional. That's when you really want to engage a professional holistic wealth manager who also has all the resources at their disposal. Uh, certified financial planners, chartered accountants, tax lawyers, uh, philanthropic specialists, family meeting mediators. These are all the services that good wealth management um, advisors will provide and will bring to the table. Or maybe you're the kind of person who gets really overwhelmed at tax time. You dread having to file your taxes or gather everything you need for an account from, for your accountant. That's when a, a good wealth advisor can say, let me take that off your plate. I'm going to send everything directly to your accountant, or I'm going to make sure that there's a seamless experience at tax time. We introduce ourselves. We work together to deliver very holistic advice. So it really, it really just depends. And then there's obviously people who just don't want to be involved at all. They're, they just think, you know, I don't have time. I don't have the expertise. You do it all. I trust you. So it depends on what type of person you are how good you are at it, how much time you have, how engaged or involved you want to be, or if you really just want to be hands-off and focus on the things that you love that are more important to you and you feel might be more worthy of your free time. 
Uh, yeah, I mean, lots of things to consider. And, um, you know, I think that you're speaking to some things that people maybe don't even realize a good financial advisor can bring to them. So, hey, listen, let's let's say that you have me sold and I want to go with an advisor for sure. Honestly, you kind of had me sold just on the taxes thing as someone who's done my own taxes before. Um, so I'm looking for a financial advisor. How do you suggest I find one? And what should I look for to make sure I'm getting a really good advisor? This is the most important part of the whole process. So 95% of my new clients come from existing client referrals. So I believe that's the best way to find the right advisor. You can do all the research you want online. Again, you're getting back to all this research, all this work and time and interviewing people. What I suggest to do is look at your friend group, look at your family, look at the people who are doing well in their lives, who, who seem to be very respectful, have it together and, you know, seem to be just the kind of people who you trust and respect. And sit down with them and have a one-on-one conversation. Look, I'm looking for a financial advisor. Do you have one? And are you happy with them? And if they say, yes, I am, then just say, would you think that, do you think that they might be a good fit for me? And if so, would you please introduce them? Then you introduce, there's an introduction. And then I would suggest you probably interview maybe two to three people, maybe more. It depends on, you, you need to feel like this is the right fit for you. It's all about personality fit. It's all about finding somebody who it really takes the time to listen to you, what's important to you, who can tell you, you know, a, a really firm, this is our process. This is what they do. We do. They can articulate it. They're going to have full transparency of costs. That's very important. And I would say you go into that interview with them. You're interviewing you. A good advisor will also, they'll be interviewing you. So it'll be a two-way interview to find the right fit. So you're going to interview them. You come prepared with questions. A good advisor will also probably come with questions for you or ask you in advance for some discovery. They want to know what kind of person you are. What are your expectations? What makes a good wealth manager in your eyes? And, you know, how can we make sure that we are meeting your objectives and your goals? And so you interview them. You really want to find the right personality fit. I would say focus more on the person that you're interviewing and less on maybe the firm or the architecture, because that is the person who's going to be doing the plan, who you're going to be meeting with regularly. And you ultimately, you have to trust with your hard-earned wealth. They're always going to have your best interest in mind. So there's lots of questions um, that you can that you can ask. Benjamin Graham, Intelligent Investor, has some great recommendations for questions to ask financial advisors and vice versa. And I think that you just want to make sure that they're organized, detail-oriented, very trustworthy, great listeners, and they follow through and they follow up and they always say what they're and they always do what they say they're going to do. And you truly feel like you trust them and, and they're taking care of everything. And until you have that feeling, then I, I wouldn't go with somebody just for the sake of wanting someone. You have to find the right person for you. Um, a point that you made there that I don't I don't think most people would think about is the personality fit. I think that's such a great point because really um when you're going in with a financial advisor you're sharing important information about your life with them they're helping you to plan your life um and making sure your finances allow for uh, the things that you want and the goals that you have so i think that's a fantastic point and i love the idea of it being a two-way interview um i'm sure that each person would come with different questions and and needs to that meeting 
So, all right, that's uh, those are some tips for how to find a financial advisor. But let's say that I want to go the other way. I really like uh, following the markets and I want to learn more uh, about them. So I download a trading app. And part of the reason why I'm so excited about this is because in the past two years, I've seen some really exciting stories about meme investing, which is when a company's stock goes viral on social media, and it just seems like there are all kinds of people getting really rich off of it, and I want to get rich too. Should I get on Reddit and look for the next meme stock? Okay, so I struggle with the term meme stocks and investing in the same sentence because as a sophisticated investment professional, I don't consider that to be investing. I think anyone who we talk in the investment community would agree. I would consider that as speculating or gambling or, you know, getting really into the momentum. And it's more of like a social activity than it is about really investing. So, you know, um, I was okay. So my, my dad's parents are actually farmers. They were farmers in Australia and my my, my grandmother raised black dogs for the blind, raised seeing eye dogs and they were sheep farmers. And so I was raised with a lot of sheep analogies. So I always have a good sheep analogy in my back pocket. So sheep are very dumb animals. I know that you're a knitter and you're probably just going to just have a feeling with all these sheep analogies. They're not very smart. They are productive at other things like creating, you know, delicious food and, you know, yarn. But sheep, if you watch them, um, one of them will do something and the rest will just follow blindly. They will just, oh my gosh, that sheep's doing something. I want to do it. I'm going to follow that sheep. And there's a lot of analogies of if a sheep or a lemming walks over a cliff, the rest of them will just follow. And they'll all go over the cliff because they're not really that smart. And what's happening is that's what's happening with these meme stock investings, investments. Essentially, one or two people get on the internet and they start going crazy about how they have to fight back against these short sellers. And this this one company that's probably a fledgling company, we need to save it and we're going to be heroes and this is going to be great. And really what ends up happening is a stock does this. Most people lose money. Most people only talk about what they've actually made and they never tell you about the losses. So it's very, very high risk. It's very speculative. It's not real investing. As a, we, we think about investing like how a rational business owner would think about buying a business, right? If you were going to buy a business, you're going to do your research. You're going to buy a great business with a great product or service, high margins, recurring revenue, lots of free cash flow, great management teams, sustainable business model, strong balance sheets with some kind of an economic moat around the business that's going to protect it from competitors, something that's not cyclical, something that's not flavor of the day, a trend or a fad, a real business with real assets that's going to stand the test of time, will weather the storm like pandemics. And so if you look at a great real business like this and investing in a business as if it's a marriage rather than you know, a fling, you really want to make sure you're buying the right businesses. And a meme stock or something that's going viral or something that even may have picked up a lot of steam during COVID and be really fueled by momentum, often things that go up quickly can come down quite quickly as well. And you don't want to be that sheep following the other sheep that goes right over the cliff, right? We are 
you know, educated people. We're smart. We work very, very hard for our money. We want to make sure that we're allocating it very wisely and not making, you know, speculative bets or gambling. Like, I, I think it's possible you might even have a better bet just taking your money and going to the casino rather than buying a meme stock because it's, uh, it's, it's super high risk. It's very scary. I know people want to get in on the hype. I know there's a lot of FOMO going on. Oh, I should have bought this stock. and I should have done this. But most of these trendy things, you know, they go up quickly and they, they tend to crash and burn pretty quickly too. So I would say avoid those at all costs. That's my recommendation. Um, you know, just be focused on long-term investing, compounding your wealth. The most important thing is just getting into a regular routine of saving money, paying down debt. Don't carry any, you know, credit card debt or any high interest debt. Um, you know, if you can afford it, you know, buy your home. Your home is one of the only tax-free, you know, assets in Canada that's available. Just save money, pay down debt and invest it wisely over the long term. Don't try to hit home runs with every investment that you make. Try to own great businesses, think like a rational business owner, um, and live within your means. One of the great quotes I heard in a book I just read called The Psychology of Money, it said, wealth is the difference between your income and your ego. So think about that, right? It's what you keep. It's not what you make. It's not the car that you drive. You know, living within your means and saving money and putting money away for a rainy day and growing your wealth is the ultimate key to success and having a great, comfortable, fulfilling lifestyle. And then, you know, being generous, you know, when it makes sense to do so to people or to causes that are important to you. Uh, those are all fantastic points. I mean, obviously I love the sheep reference, <laughs> as, you, uh, as you say, uh, being a knitter, uh, I understand the value of sheep, but also have some knowledge, um, of their IQ too. Um, I, I think that it's a, a good analogy because, uh, as you say, people don't like talking about the money that they lost in, in these, um, meme stocks. Um, I was going to say investments, but I won't, um, it, they, they talk about what they won. Right. Um, so I, I think all good food for thought. And I think it also harkens back to, to that Warren Buffett quote that you said before about, uh, being greedy when people are fearful and being fearful when people are, uh, being greedy and wanting to make more money off of a uh, GameStop or whatever. It doesn't seem to make sense. <laughs> it's so true. You, you know, it's, we have to really just apply a contrarian lens to the way that we're thinking about things when it comes to investments, right? When, when things don't seem to make logical sense that they're, why they're so expensive or why they're so cheap, um, you know, as long as it kind of fits with the ongoing future trends of where you think the world is is going or where things appear to be going, then I would say, you know, it's good to be confident and, and go against the grain as long as you have the research to back it up or you have a trusted resource who like a great financial advisor who is encouraging you along the way. Yeah, that's great. Uh, and like you said, the the real uh, important thing is to save and compound that interest, which I think we hear all over the place. Um, so it's great to hear that advice again. Yes, that's that's the key. I think if I could give, you know, young people one piece of advice or new grads one piece of advice, it's start saving your money and don't, you know, pay yourself. You should pay yourself first and it should all be automatic, right? Have your credit cards paid off automatically. You don't want to miss a payment and incur 20% interest. 
you know, make sure that your savings plan is automatic. Even if it's 50 or or $100 a month, just get into the regular habit of saving money. And paying off debt is, is really important too. Don't be, I think the term going around now is sheeple. Don't, don't, don't be sheeple. Okay. <laughs> That's bad. Right. Uh, this is, this has been great, Alexandra. Thanks so much for sharing all of your knowledge and, and thoughts uh, on these things. Hopefully it can get some alumni started uh, on their financial journeys. Absolutely. Or at least, you know, give you the confidence to make a change if that's what you want to do, right? Sometimes we get paralyzed by just not knowing how to move forward. We have all the tools at our disposal, all the options at our disposal, but you don't just don't really know how to move forward. So, you know, start asking around, start asking for references, do your own research, trust your gut instinct. And, you know, references, I think, are the best way to discover who would, might be the right fit for you. Or if you want to be a DIY investor, absolutely. There's lots of resources available online. There's websites like Seeking Alpha, where you can get a lot of good analyst coverage and material. And it's just a, a really substantial investment of your time and energy. But if you want to do it, you're engaged in it, you like it, absolutely. I think that makes a lot of sense for the right person. Great. Thanks so much, Alexandra. Thank you for having me. Thanks so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed the episode. If you did, leave a rating or tell a friend about it. It makes a big difference. Alumni Know is created by the University of Waterloo's Office of Advancement. This episode was produced and hosted by me, Meg Vanderwood. It was edited by Carlos Saavedra and Aju Chow. All three of us are alumni and staff at U Waterloo.